North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. This is Evelyn Lambrecht from HealthCoachSD, as in San Diego.com. And I'm hosting the show tonight, and Lauren, Dr. Lauren, is actually going to be our guest for the first time. So uh, we're very excited to have her on the show. We're going to be talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome tonight. So you guys are going to learn so much, and we're so excited to have Lauren here to actually share all this information with you. So just a few announcements. Lauren and I, along with our good friend Jenna Phillips from I'm on a Mission, are actually hosting a workshop in San Diego this weekend, this Saturday, at 50 Foods in Point Loma. It's called New Year, New You, How to Get Your Ultimate Body in 2012. Jenna will be doing a free workout for anyone who wants to come at 10 a.m., and then the workshop will go from 11.30 to 3 o'clock. We're giving you guys a meal plan. There will be a free lunch, and you guys are just going to learn so much about um, how to eat, how to um, work on your hormones, how to work on your digestion so that you can get your ultimate body in the new year. So we're very excited for that. If you'd like to sign up, we have a Facebook event, and you can find that on both the Health Coach SD Facebook page and uh, the Dr. Lil Radio Facebook page. Um, also, we're going to be talking about this more a little later on, but Lauren and I are going to be running a detox together, and the website for that will go live uh, by the end of the week, but you can go to drlaurennoel.com, um, sign up for the newsletter there, or you can sign up on mine too, healthcoachsd.com, and you'll be the first to know about all the details. So uh, for our show tonight, if you guys want to call in with questions, uh, the number is 818-495-6919. We'll bring you on the show so you can ask Dr. Lauren. So let's get started here. I'm just going to tell you guys a little bit more about Lauren. She got her bachelor's in psychology from Biola University and then went to naturopathic school at the National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. And she completed a one-year internship in naturopathic integrative cardiovascular and pulmonary medicine. She uses an individualized approach with her patients. She views each patient as a whole person rather than a set of symptoms and diagnoses. Um, Lauren uses a blend of Eastern and Western medicine, nutritional therapy, detoxification, homeopathy, and conventional treatments when necessary. She has advanced training in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, cardiology, heavy metal detoxification, and intravenous nutritional therapy. Um, Her areas of expertise include digestive disorders, inflammatory bowel disease, autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, acne, menopause, infertility, Hashimoto's thyroid disease, weight loss, detoxification, environmental medicine, and food intolerances. And obviously, Dr. Noel is also the host of this popular radio show, Dr. Low Radio, which is in the top 10 shows for health on Block Talk Radio and a very popular podcast on iTunes. And she's also one of my best friends. Yay. So, Lauren, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm sitting there laughing. Thank you. It was great to hear you do the intro. I'm very impressed. I, uh, I For everyone listening, I actually text Evelyn and I said, smile with your voice. And she's like, shut up, Lauren. And that's exactly what she did. So, good job. I always smile with my voice. <laughs> Well, especially right now. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for this nice intro. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the reason why I decided to be the one interviewed for this show is because I, this is something I've seen so much. And, you know, I'm, I've am i learned some things, a thing or two and been able to see kind of a pattern of, of uh, how this presents and kind of putting together my own approach with it. So I just figured I would, instead of having a guest on the show, I just wanted to run my mouth and kind of, Give some shed some light on this uh, really common condition. Absolutely. So let's just delve right into it. What is polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, polycystic ovarian syndrome is, like the name says, it's a syndrome, meaning it's just a collection of symptoms that we'll get into. Um, it's really not one particular thing that you see. It just it's, it really depends on uh, the, the person's presentation, but. 
it's super common. It's, it's the most common disorder of the endocrine system, so that means of the hormonal system um, mm-hmm. in our age group, so age 12 to 45. So it's, it's, it's a lot, and it's, it's increasingly so in, in its um, frequency. Um, so it affects the ovaries. It affects um, the brain, the body, you know, the, the fat tissues, and, um, and ultimately it can affect other parts of the body too, like the cardiovascular system, um, the bones, and, and on and on in the future. So... Yeah, it's pretty uh it's pretty intense and it's really really common. So I'm really excited to let you guys know more about it. How much do you see it in your practice? You know, it's probably the most common thing that I see right now. I was I did not think that was going to be the case once I started practicing and seeing patients, but I just asking patients questions about their symptoms, what they're experiencing, I just was finding that um this is sort of like a spectrum. So you don't it's not like boom, you have PCOS. It's like, you know, people can have some of the symptoms. They can have all of the mm-hmm. symptoms. It just really depends on the person. And so I'm seeing this this pattern in almost almost all the female patients that come through my door, I'm seeing this in some way or another. So it's a lot. I'm seeing it a lot more than I ever thought I would. Wow. So what are the uh, symptoms of PCOS? How do you know if someone has it? Well, the symptoms, like I said, it really depends on the person. So it can be... It can vary, but um, the most common things that are seen are, uh, first off, would be menstrual irregularities, and that can be uh, a period like every month or like, you know, every couple of months or maybe no period at all. It could be a period like every three weeks, so it can be, you know, increased frequency of periods or not enough periods, Um, or like I said, it could be no period at all. It just depends on the person. Um, Infertility is, is more common in patients with PCOS, and oftentimes that's why the woman will go to the doctors, they're having a hard time getting pregnant, and they're like, what's going on? Why can't I get pregnant? And then they turned out, turn out to get diagnosed with PCOS. Um, difficulty losing weight is also uh, a, an issue with this particular group, and like the central obesity, so the weight gain is more in the midsection. Fluid retention, so feeling like you're just, you know, holding on to water weight, feeling bloated. Fatigue, so just lowered energy throughout the day. Mood swings, like anxiety and depression. Uh, acne. So, like, uh, adult-onset acne can happen, you know, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, noticing this, their faces just aren't as clear as they used to be. Um, unwanted facial hair growth. So this is pretty common, I would say, in most of the patients with PCOS. Um, statistically, 70% of women with PCOS have this compared to just 10% of women without PCOS. And that can be on the lip. It can be the chin. Uh, it could be the sternums, like the chest area. It can be, like, around the nipples. Um, it can be like the the midsection, like kind of like the happy trail, you know, like down in the lower abdomen region. And then also um, there can be hair loss on the head as well. So sort of like a, me- a male pattern type of hair growth where it's on the face and then you can get loss on the head. Um, and it really varies greatly upon the woman, but um, labs, there could be like higher cholesterol or um, maybe diabetes could be actually diagnosed when they go to their doctor. Um, so those are kind of a cluster of the different symptoms that, that they could have. So when you think, that's a lot of symptoms, by the way, when yeah. you think that someone has it, what are the um, tests that you run? Do you do like a hormone panel or what do you uh, go by if you suspect that someone might have it? Yeah, so so really to be diagnosed with PCOS, um, like I said, there's really not one particular test that can diagnose it because it is a, a syndrome. So it's also done by exclusion. So you, like going to a doctor, you want to make sure that other things are ruled out, like hypothyroidism, you want to make sure that that's ruled out, or Cushing syndrome, which would be like a condition of the, the adrenal glands. Um, it could be uh, like a tumor, ovarian or adrenal tumor. So you want to have other things ruled out first. But um, there are three uh, criteria. There are three features of PCOS. And in order to be diagnosed, you have to have two out of the three. So I'll just read them off first, and then I'll go into what what they mean each one individually. So first off, um, it's called oligomenorrhea or anovulation. So all that means is you have a period infrequently, or you don't have a period at all, or you could have a period too frequently. It's just dysregulation of your menstrual cycle. So it's an abnormal menstrual cycle. The second would be uh, clinical signs or biochemical signs of hypo, hyperandrogenism. I'll go into that in a sec. And then the last one is polycystic ovaries. So mm-hmm. first off, like I said, the first one, it, it's, that's pretty straightforward, menstrual irregularities. Um, 
that just really depends on the woman. The second one is the high androgen. So that could be either a physical sign of it or it could be a biochemical sign, meaning like on a lab, lab test. So women could notice they're getting facial hair growth. They could have um, maybe hair loss on the head. Or they go into their doctor and they happen to have high um, testosterone in their blood work. So that would also qualify for this particular one. Um, and then the last one would be cysts on the ovaries. And this is diagnosed when you go to your doctor, they do an ultrasound, and they find that there are cysts on the ovaries. And in order to be a positive on this particular one, you have to have at least 12 or more follicles on the ovaries that are at least 2 to 9 millimeters in diameter or a total ovarian volume of greater than 10 milliliters. So basically what happens with PCOS is you get these, the stimulation of the follicles in the, in the ovaries. And normally you have one main follicle that is stimulated and then it busts out an egg and then you can become pregnant, right? That's ovulation. But with, with uh, PCOS, it's, they're stimulated to an extent and then these, these, all these follicles, it's called follicular arrest. They stop developing and then you just have a bunch of, you know, um, they look like cysts in the ovaries. And so if you were to look at it, like put open the person and look at their ovaries, it would look like a, like a bag of marbles, basically. So, um, but the thing is, is only half of women with PCOS have cysts on their ovaries. Right. So even though it's polycystic ovarian syndrome, even if you don't have cysts, you could still have PCOS. Yep, exactly. So you have to have two out of the three. So a woman can go into the doctor, just say, hey, I have irregular periods. I, I noticed some hair growth on my face. And then she can get worked up for this, and boom, she could have PCOS and have no idea at all that this was something that she was dealing with. Wow. So um, you mentioned earlier that PCOS can lead to um, increased risk for other things. You just touched on a few. Are there any others? There's so many. And this, this condition, is it's so important to get this addressed. And this can happen early. I mean, even like in teenage years, kids can be getting this. So it's got to be something that, that is addressed because it can lead to all kinds of things down the line. And that the main reason is because that the, the real issue going on with PCOS is this higher insulin, and we'll get into that later and exactly what that means, but because this insulin is a problem, you don't want to have excess insulin in your body, and if you have higher insulin, that's going to have you increased risk for obesity, for diabetes, for even like heart disease down the line, um, and also, so if you were to measure the blood uh, of, of women with PCOS, they're more likely to have something called um, homocysteine. That's a, a, a marker for, like, cardiovascular disease. So women with PCOS tend to have higher homocysteine, um, which can lead to, you know, things down the line like cardiovascular disease, even Alzheimer's disease, and increased bone fracture risk. Um, so that's just with the, the homocysteine. They also have increased risk of endometrial cancer because women with PCOS tend to have unopposed estrogen. What that means is you have high levels of estrogen and not enough progesterone. Because like I said earlier, you have your ovaries, you know, normally you bust out the egg, and then what remains is called the corpus, corpus luteum. And that in a normal menstruating woman would produce progesterone. But since a woman has PCOS, they don't knock that egg out. Um, they don't get that, that um, remnant of the egg that produces the progesterone. So they don't have enough progesterone. So they have unopposed estrogen. The, the uterus is produced, is, you know, stimulated by estrogen, and it grows and grows and grows. And then they don't get that sloughing off, so they don't get a period each month. And that can increase their risk for cancer of the uterus down the line, which is called endometrial cancer. So it's the lining of the uterus called the endometrium. Um, also, women with PCOS have an increased risk for diabetes when they're pregnant, so gestational diabetes. Um, they're more at risk for hypertension, so that's high blood pressure. Um, like I said earlier, they can have depression or anxiety. That can be, like, one of the main reasons why they go to their doctors. They have depression and anxiety, and in reality, they could have this condition. Um, mm -hmm. Also, higher cholesterol, higher in triglycerides, because usually when a woman has high triglycerides in their blood, it's from a carb issue, and this is an issue with carbs for a lot of these women. Um, also, they, like I said, they do have increased risk for heart disease, but they're more likely to get plaques in their arteries than other women, um, without PCOS, and that's independent from the cardiovascular risk. They're just more likely to have uh, plaque formation. Um, Interesting. I'm just running down the line. There's a lot. Um, they are more at risk for strokes. Um, they're more at risk for miscarriage, so even if they do get pregnant, there's increased risk to have a miscarriage. Um, women with PCOS also have an increased likelihood to have sleep apnea, and um, with that, 
if you have sleep apnea, you're more tired during the day. So they, they, they call it somnolence, like daytime somnolence. So, so it's like they don't sleep at night, and then they're just, like, totally wiped out during the day. Um, also, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I actually did a show on this. Uh, I think it was maybe three, four months ago with Dr. Lynn Patrick. We did a show all about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and women with PCOS are more at risk for that. And then just a few more. So acanthosis nigricans, that's like, you know, you see people walking around with, like, the dark necks or maybe they'll have, like, some skin tags. You see kind of like dark knees or dark elbows. It's like this darkening. That's um, more common in women with DCOS as well. And then lastly, autoimmune thyroiditis. So Hashimoto's, too, is um, is increased risk for women with PCOS. So it's oh. a lot of things. It's, it's important to get it taken care of because um, it can increase all kinds of things down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the risk between the PCOS and diabetes, and I just I actually don't remember how. Um, can you explain how it all is related to the insulin, like where that part comes in? Right, and it's hard to say if you know the PCOS causes the metabolic syndrome insulin kind of issue, or if it's the other way around. It's just they're both there, and so that's something that like from for myself with patients, I address both of those. Um, but but so when you have surges of insulin. Let me back up. So in your brain, you release something called luteinizing hormone. That's, uh, it is a, a, it's secreted from the pituitary gland in your brain. And in women with PCOS, they tend to have higher amounts of LH. That's hmm. the short version of LH for luteinizing hormone. So when you get that surge, it, it um, stimulates the ovaries, specifically the fecal cells in your ovaries. When you couple the, um, the LH with insulin, that increases the production of testosterone. So these women tend to have higher um, testosterone production, usually from this particular issue of the uh, increased production of LH with the insulin. Now, why would a woman have high insulin? There's many reasons why this could happen, but typically it's from the standard American diet. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the standard American diet is, is carbs. People are eating tons of carbs nowadays, you know, sugars, and they're not working out, and so they tend to have this high insulin most of the time. And uh, that, that's really the main issue with why their insulin is high. Of course, people aren't sleeping the way that they're supposed to, and they're not exercising. And so there's a lot that goes into it, but just chronic high insulin can really promote this. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that that's the cause of PCOS, but, but that is definitely um, something that adds fuel to the flame, I would say. Wow. Okay. Um, for anyone just tuning in, uh, welcome to Dr. Low Radio. If you guys want to call in with a question, um, the number is 818-495-6919. Talking about PCOS tonight. Um, Lauren, can you tell us a little bit more about the connection with PCOS and infertility? Yeah, so I'm sure a lot of women listening who have been kind of, they, they see me posting about it and there, it sparks their interest because fertility is such a huge huge topic right now and I have many friends and family even who have a hard time getting pregnant and this is a lot of times the main reason why they even go to the doctor in the first place and get diagnosed with this condition so infertility is definitely associated with PCOS and um, it's actually the number one cause of infertility today and we know infertility is an all-time high I mean it's like it's crazy how hard it is for people to have babies nowadays you know, yeah. I mean, they could just pop them out left and right, and now it's really difficult for women sometimes. And and it shows that the statistics actually show that for women who are um, obese that have PCOS, their um, infertility is actually 75%. So 75% of women obese and have PCOS have infertility. Um, it's not wow. clear about the statistics. Yeah, so that's, that's you know, three out of four women. That's That's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really clear about lean women with PCOS. It is estimated that it's probably lower, but um, just looking at the obese women with PCOS, it's pretty pretty high up there. And then even if they do get pregnant, the risk of um, a miscarriage is a lot higher because, like I was saying, with the, um, the the progesterone issue, progesterone is really important to have a sustained pregnancy. Normally, when you um, that egg pops out and you have you know, the, the the remnants of the egg produce the progesterone, and then once implantation happens, um, then the placenta starts to kick in and, and secrete progesterone. But these women tend to have lower progesterone as it is, and their um, miscarriage rate is like 30 to 60% for these for these ladies. So the women who continually have 
miscarriages over and over again and uh, just finding they can't hold on to the fetus, this is something that should be evaluated for them. Wow. Um, So how does someone get PCOS? What's the cause? I know, you know, as a naturopathic doctor, you you always want to look at the root cause rather than just, you know, prescribe a drug. So how does someone get this? You know, um, it's interesting because I was I was doing a lot of research on it, and uh, there actually is a genetic link to this, believe it or not. And I know, like, as a naturopathic doctor, I tend to just go, oh, it's never the genes, it's always environment, you know, because we want to obviously add a lot of personal responsibility for people. But there is a genetic link for this, it, it, it looks like. They're, they haven't identified a gene, but um, there are some twin studies that show that um, – identical twins are more likely to have this versus, like, fraternal twins or um, siblings. So um, it's an autosomal dominant condition. So meaning, like, you can get it from your mom or you can get it from your dad. It's, like, one or the other. Um, and, and it's really interesting, too, is that men who have this particular gene, they're more likely to have, like, um, male pattern baldness or um, – um, and then women who have this are, like I said, there can be this spectrum. So maybe a woman would just have a regular period, possibly, maybe not the whole full-blown, um, you know, pr- presentation of this, but you can just be more predisposed based on the genes. Um, but, you know, with anything with genes, I, I use the analogy that genes, like, they um, they load your gun and then your lifestyle pulls the trigger. And in this case, the trigger being pulled is insulin. So maybe you have this genetic predisposition, but you keep your lifestyle really healthy, you have a balanced diet, you, you know, manage all of these things well, and maybe you don't ever have the presentation of this particular condition. So just because there there is some research with it genetically, I, I don't see it as something that's like if your mom has it, you're going to have it, like, end of story, because um, your diet and lifestyle plays such a huge role. So, you know, really the, the core issue with it is, is the insulin surges. Um, Anything that can spike your blood sugar can make you have insulin surges. And anything that can spike cortisol can give you insulin surges. So I'll give you some examples of what that could look like for people. Let's say a woman has food sensitivities. She has maybe a wheat sensitivity. Every time she eats wheat, it's going to create um, an inflammatory response. It's going to create a surge of cortisol. Anytime you have cortisol, it's going to increase your, your glucose dumping out from your liver and then your your pancreas responds by producing insulin to get the, the blood sugar into your cells. So that right there can promote this whole insulin resistance picture because over and over again, if you have this constant dumping out of blood sugar into your, you know, of glucose into your blood, then you're going to have insulin produced on a regular basis, getting these surges, and then the receptors, it's like they just tune it out after a while. Um, the whole receptor resistance issue, it's like, having a toddler just like, mommy, 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 and eventually you just tune it out. And that's what happens with the body. It's like eventually it's just too much, too much of this signal, and it just it, it can't hear it anymore. So so food sensitivities, um, wheat. And, and we know from, uh, so you guys listening, check out the book um, Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davis. It's a great book that explains how wheat is actually found to create um, more blood sugar problems than sugar itself. So it's really interesting, and I, and I haven't, I actually haven't read the book yet. I've skimmed through it, and it seems really like I have it on my shelf. I'm actually going to be interviewing him um, hopefully in January on the show. Um, but but we can promote this blood sugar reaction so much, and that right there can cause this insulin issue. So um, dairy, if a woman is reacting to dairy, she has maybe a um, lactose issue or a casein allergy. That could be another issue. Um, maybe soy, corn. Uh, just like the top offenders, you know, anytime I have a patient who has really any condition, I put them on an anti-inflammatory diet. So that's taking out the wheat, um, the sugar, the corn, the soy, the dairy. So those right there can spike insulin and create this whole um, response. And then infections. You know, cortisol can spike from any kind of stress. So if a woman has like um, gut infections and she's continually having to react to that, that can throw off your blood sugar. Um, maybe uh, mental and emotional stress. So in a maybe a relationship that's not supportive or um, having this constant anxiety, maybe a job she hates, she's always getting this spiking of blood sugar that is going to promote this as well. So any kind of stress can, can add to this blood sugar dysregulation. Um, diet. 
I can't tell you how many women come in, they give me their diet diary, and they all have a low-fat diet. It's crazy. It's We're constantly inundated with raw, really incorrect diet information, and we think that we have to have a low-carb, or excuse me, a low-fat diet with, you know, lots of carbs, and even it's complex carbs. But like we know, if you have food sensitivity, even complex carbs can spike your blood sugar. So it doesn't really matter from a blood sugar standpoint um, if it's complex or not. So diet, I, I think can add to this for sure. Even if you think you're having a healthy diet, if it's a super low-fat diet, high in carbs, that's not going to be good for blood sugar balancing, period. Um, What else? Uh, So insulin-resistant women, and I know people listening are going, okay, I don't know if I have insulin resistance. How do I know if I have this? Well, a sign of insulin resistance would be you eat and you get tired. If, that, if you eat and then you get tired, it's probably because of a blood sugar issue. You, you can't get the blood sugar into your cells, so you have this re- insulin-resistant picture. Or it could be the other way around. Maybe you have hypoglycemia. And, and if you have hypoglycemia, you're going to be getting surges of insulin anyway. So you eat and then you feel a lot better. Like maybe you feel energized when you eat. Well, really when you eat, you should just feel not hungry anymore. It shouldn't really provide a whole bunch of energy for you. If you get um, shaky between meals, that could be a hypoglycemic type of pattern. And so, like I said, anytime you have a hypoglycemic um, tendency, you are probably having spikes in blood sugar. So you've got to get the blood sugar under control. Um, other possible signs of having insulin or um, hypoglycemia would be like if you're craving sweets, if you crave breads, you crave chocolate, if you need coffee to get going in the morning, probably a, a blood sugar issue. Um, you get headaches in the afternoon if you're prone to migraines. Maybe if you stand up quickly and you get dizziness, that's that could be a low blood sugar, um, low blood pressure type of um, adrenal dysfunction right there. So those would be some sort of things to look at and to see if maybe you have some blood sugar issues going on. And then also toxicity. I mean, toxin overload is huge with any condition really going on in our – I mean, the top causes of death in our country, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, cancer, all of these have a toxic component to them. And they all have an inflammatory component. And I would I would make that also in common with PCOS. PCOS has a toxin component to it. We can share a little bit later about um, what types of toxins are found more in PCOS women. Um, and then also inflammation. So women with PCOS are found to ha- have certain um, inflammatory cytokines. As they, and, and all cytokines are, are just like messengers in the body that show that there's inflammation. So it's reacting and creating an inflammatory response to something in the environment, whether, like I said, a diet or environment or or whatever. There's um, sort of this inflammation going on on a regular basis in these women. So um, it's really a long answer. There's not one cause of PCOS, but there's a lot of things that we see that can um, maybe be an issue for a woman. So, um, yeah, it's like there's no answer, but there's a lot of things that could be possibilities. (laughs) Right, so it's really very individual, and that's why you have to look at every single person on a case-by-case basis. Absolutely. Um, Is there an autoimmune component to PCOS? You know, I've heard that thrown around that it could be an autoimmune thing. From what I've seen, I I haven't seen that to be the case. I haven't seen it in the research to be the case. Um, But for women who do have PCOS, it does show that they have um, an increased risk of having um, uh, autoimmune thyroid, so Hashimoto's right. um, thyroiditis. So they do have an increased risk of that, but I, at this point I haven't seen it be an autoimmune component. But you know what? You never know. I mean, maybe it's there could be, we might find that out down the line, maybe with some more research that it could be an autoimmune disease, but mm-hmm. not that I know of yet. So um, say a woman like goes to just a conventional you know, family doctor, MD, complaining of any of these symptoms, long plus the symptoms yeah. that we uh, talked about, are they usually evaluated for PCOS? And um, what's the standard treatment for PCOS? Well, usually from what I've heard, I'm obviously not a conventional doctor, so I don't know exactly what's done. But from what I know of is that they'll go to their conventional doctor and um, they'll say, hey, I'm having a regular a regular period. Um there might be some blood work that's done, probably some basic blood work. I don't know if hormones will be looked at right away. Usually what's, what ha- is happen is they're just, boom, they're put right on like a birth control pill because that's like, mm-hmm. you know, your hormones are dysregulated. Let's just give you some hormones and just force it to be regular. Um, 
it does show that it can regulate things. Doing birth control pills can decrease testosterone. It increases the est- estrogen and progesterone. Um, and it can help with uh, some of the, like, the hirsutism, which is, like, the grow- the hair-, hair growth on the face and that kind of thing. So it can help with some of the symptoms. Um, and sometimes women are put on this automatically, and then once they decide they want to get pregnant, they go off of the pill, and then all these symptoms come rushing back. So it can be really hard. You know, if they're, if they're not, if the cause isn't identified for these people, then it can be a real long battle with this. But but usually it's the birth control pill, um, and or they could just be treating each of these symptoms individually, right? I mean, they could go into their doctor, they have mood swings and depression, and they're put on an antidepressant. Or, um, you know, maybe they have some fatigue, and so, you know, they might have some blood work done and address it from that standpoint. Or maybe they'll, you know, run their, their thyroid panel and make sure their thyroid is working properly. So usually things are kind of compartmentalized, and they see them individually, or maybe they're sent to specialists. Um, mm-hmm. For the acne piece, typically they're put on some sort of acne medication. You refer to a dermatologist and then put on, like, Retin-A or maybe some benzoyl peroxide, uh, maybe some topical antibiotics. I know for me back in the day I was put straight on Accutane like twice. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't think that's used anymore because it was taken off of the market. I think it was recalled. But, um, yep. yeah, so so sometimes they're just, you know, each different um, symptom will tr- be treated individually. Uh, usually they're told, you know, diet and exercise, you know, maybe that might be talked about. Um, stopping smoking would probably be recommended. Um, but usually the first step is is using oral contraceptives to induce the, the regular menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if people fertility are also placed is, on – sorry, go ahead. Just, oh, it's okay. Yeah, just a couple more things. So if fertility – like let's say a woman goes to the doctor and she wants to be – you know, she goes in because she can't get pregnant. Maybe she just put right on some fertility medications. You know, she could be put on um, clomiphene, which is like clomid, Um if, that, if, if wanting to stimulate the fertility or on metformin, that's a pretty common medication for diabetes. Yeah, just yeah. An insulin. Yeah, so metformin is used quite a bit. Um, I think that they're going away from using metformin as much just for PCOS, but if there's this insulin resistance and diabetes picture, then that's used um, quite a bit. And uh, and it can be really, it can be effective. I mean, metformin can can help increase fertility. I mean, they're actually told if you're if you're put on metformin, be careful because you can get pregnant. So it does increase fertility, which is great, um, but it doesn't always get to the root cause of the issue. You know, it's like it helps with the insulin, but it doesn't always help, like address the cause of why the insulin is wrong in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so metformin can be effective, and then um, and especially if a woman is she does get pregnant, metformin can be helpful to decrease like the incidence of um, gestational diabetes. I think by ninefold, it can help with that. So I'm not anti-medication by any means. I think that these things can be effective when they're used properly. But um, yeah, conventionally, I would say in a conventional standpoint, there's a lot more that should probably be looked at for these for these ladies. Mm-hmm. So what is your approach? What's the naturopathic approach to treating uh, PCOS? Well, first off, with any patient, I'll be doing, you know, a full evaluation, doing a full history, seeing what this um, has looked like throughout the woman's life. Um, For most women, if there's, like, an abnormal menstrual cycle, it's usually been going on since puberty. So I'll just look at her history, see what what this has been like throughout her life, um, see what the likelihood of it being genetic for her, maybe her mom or her aunts or grandparent, you know, grandmother or even grandfather could have some, you know, hormonal stuff. I mean, I'll ask about that. And then usually for most patients, I put them on a detox program right off the bat. Um, The one that we're actually going to be doing um, online with patients as well as um, the one in person here in San Diego, it's the same program I put my PCOS patients on because Mm -hmm. it works so well and it helps to address all of these core issues with the insulin, um, with, you know, and and decreasing the toxicity load that they're exposed to, getting these things flushed out of their bodies, um, you know, making sure that the basics are in place, that they're sleeping right, they're exercising, um, their, you know, their diet is a low allergen diet. So the, the detox program is great for clearing out toxins, but it also addresses the diet. It's, it's the, putting them on an anti-inflammatory diet. So what what is the mm-hmm. best diet for them not to react to? That's that's the diet that I put patients on. So it's gluten-free. It's actually grain-free, too. It's um, 
dairy-free, it is um, soy-free, corn-free, and it's delicious. It's just fruits and vegetables and healthy meats, and um, I might take seeds out depending on the patient if there's, like, gut stuff. Um, but it's just food as medicine and just jumping it right into this detox program. And then once that's, once we do the detox, then I'll probably reassess and then go into doing some blood work. I might look at – I would probably want to see what other blood work has been done by their previous doctors and get caught up with what – because usually when patients come see me, they've seen, like, ten different doctors. <laughs> so I have a lot to look through and see what's already been done. And um, then just do a whole – host of testing. I love testing. I'm a huge fan of running different lab markers and just seeing what it looks like, especially as baseline, and then we can um, adjust things and test as we go, you know, through the treatment. So um, with most patients I'm I'm treating with PCOS, I'd want to do a hormonal panel. I want to see what their testosterone looks like, um, their DHEA, which is another, like, androgen hormone. I want to look at their androstenedione. That's uh, another androgen. Um, I'd want to look at their estrogen and their progesterone and a whole adrenal panel. So your adrenal glands, for those of you guys who aren't familiar, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the show before, but your adrenal glands are two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys and they regulate the stress response. They are little glands, but they have a huge job in your body. And when you're stressed, they pump out cortisol. Cortisol is your stress hormone, like, like I explained earlier, and that controls a lot when it comes to blood sugar and insulin. So huge, huge piece to look at with our PCOS patients. So I'll do an adrenal panel, which is um, you basically spit in the tube four times throughout the day. I see what your cortisol is in the morning, in the late morning, like around noon, in the afternoon, and at nighttime. And normally you want it to be high in the morning and drop throughout the day and you be low at night, and then you go to sleep. And normally your melatonin should be high at night, which is your sleep hormone, so you can rest and be rejuvenated for the next day. And what I find for a lot of these patients with PCOS, that the the uh, pattern is flipped. So sometimes they'll have low cortisol in the morning, so they just drag out of bed, they're tired, they have a you know blood sugar issue, they want to drink some coffee to get going, they're flatlined throughout the day, and then they have like a second wind at night, so they're, they're night owls. So that's sort of a classic like blood sugar imbalance problem. So I'd want to get a test and, and, and address that. Um, also, if they have any gut dysfunction, any kind of gut symptoms, I'll do a stool panel for them. I don't actually do the stool panel. I send it off to a lab and <laughs> see if there's anything <laughs> anything growing in there. If you have any parasites, any bacteria, you know, abnormal bacteria, um, H. pylori, that's a bacteria in your stomach, all of these things, if these are going on in your body, that can create cortisol, surges, insulin dysregulation. So those all need to be addressed to really have that healthy body to be as fertile as, as you can get it. Um, and then I'll also do a blood sugar, excuse me, a, a whole blood panel. So look at your red blood cells, your white blood cells, look at your cholesterol, which usually after doing the detox, the cholesterol is markedly improved. I've done pre and post testing and seen a lot of really great results with getting cholesterol um, normalized after the detox, even just a four-week detox. It's really amazing. Um, and then looking at, um, you know, looking for, like, making sure they don't have, like, anemia and stuff like that. So it's very, very holistic with patients, and um, it's a lot of information, but it's great because with that I can put together a nice plan of action to help guide them, you know, throughout the next, like, four to six months. Some women, they get pregnant right away. I mean, doing this detox, getting their liver cleared out, their hormones get balanced, and boom, they get pregnant. Other women, it takes, like, four to six months. It just depends on the woman. And other women, nine months to a year. It can take longer. It really just depends on each individual case. But that's, you know, my job is to put together a really comprehensive plan and then walk them through that. So, um, but, you know, with the, the goals with treatment is we want to regulate the menstrual cycle, make sure that that's normal every 28 to 33 days. I want to reduce the androgens, like the testosterone, the, the um, you know, excess DHT, which is active form of testosterone, and then um, treat the symptoms of that, so making sure they're not continually getting this facial hair growth and the hair loss and the acne and all that. We want to restore fertility because a healthy body is fertile. You know, I mean, I, I say that to, to, to women to say, I want to, you know, restore your fertility. Like, oh, my God, I don't want to get pregnant. It's like, no, 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 a healthy <laughs> body is fertile. That's what you're supposed to be able to have a baby. <laughs> so restoring fertility, um, obviously improving, improving body composition. We want to get that fat from the midsection off of there, get your 
lean muscle mass improve, just get, you know, a healthier body composition. And then this is a no-brainer, just reducing the risk for diseases later down the line, reducing your risk for heart disease, for stroke, for cancer, diabetes, all these different things that are increased for, for these PCOS patients. So making sure that, you know, they're reducing those risks for down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, two questions. And I didn't even so actually the... go into treatments. There's tons of treatments. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to lead into that. So after someone does the detox, and with the detox, Lauren, um, that would help the amount of testosterone and stuff go down too, right? Because the detox helps with the clearance of hormones. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The uh, the detox has a lot of support to help um, clear hormones out and balance those things naturally. And also it helps with adrenal function. So if you're balancing your adrenals and getting those more under control, that's going to help with hormones right away. Um, there's something called the pregnenolone steel, which um, I'm thinking back to my biochemistry class. And basically, when you're under a time of stress, your body produces cortisol at the detriment of your sex hormones. And uh, like I said earlier, cortisol being elevated can be from any kind of stress. It could be from food sensitivities and toxins and all of that. And so during the detox, that is alleviated and it can help push the pathway more towards the sex hormones. You can get these hormones more balanced. Um, during the detox, we're also, also providing fish oil. Um, so that right there is going to provide the anti-inflammatory support. Um, there's liver support, kidney support. There's homeopathic remedies that help with the drainage of these toxins. And I found that with the homeopathic remedies, it increases the clearance even more so. And, um, yeah, and there's different botanicals actually in the uh, the protein powder that we use that it, it also helps promote um, the formation of something called sex hormone binding globulin. So when you increase sex hormone binding globulin, that's like the taxi cab that goes around your body and picks up hormones. So it helps to clear out that excess testosterone. Um, so that's kind of a visual for it. <laughs> but, that, yeah, the detox is great for that, and that's why women can become more fertile just after the detox in and of itself. Right. And then after the detox, um, what kind of diet do you put people on? And then going further from that, like what other kind of uh, natural treatments do you use with people? Right. So diet for, for PCOS, really, I'm not I'm not a believer that there's one diet for everybody because some women, they thrive on an all-raw diet. Some women thrive on a paleo diet. You know, it, it really depends. And I know that, you know, some people have kind of seen me as like the paleo doc. I really promote this paleo diet, but not always. I mean, I know that there's some women who have totally reversed PCOS on an all-raw diet. But the, the most important thing is, is what is going to be the best diet to keep blood sugar balanced, to keep inflammation low, and keep that those insulin surges from happening? That's that's the most important thing. And so what I found is the paleo diet tends to do that. It tends to keep the blood sugar balanced throughout the day. So cutting out the carbs, cutting out the grains completely, I would say. I mean, if I have PCOS, I would cut out the grains completely. Um, doing healthy meats, so organic, free-range, grass-fed beef if you're going to do beef, organic chicken, organic, you know, everything just healthy, healthy, healthy animals. Um, you know, cutting out the carbs, doing tons of veggies. I think a plant-based diet mostly is great because it's, it's it's medicine. You're eating medicine with every single meal and you're doing tons of plants and adding in, you know, the healthy meats and the, the healthy nuts and seeds. And um, it's sort of a, a low blood sugar surging type of diet, keeping that stable all day long. And, you know, yeah. if you go if you were to go, like, on the American, um, I think it's Diabetic Association, that the diets that they recommend is awful for blood balancing. So it's like you have to just do your own research and find what works best for you. I think it's great to, to eat a, a meal and just pay attention to the way that your body feels. If you feel balanced after you eat something and you feel great, I mean, as long as you're not bouncing off the walls like, like a crazy high, it's probably a good diet for you. But if you're tired after you eat or, um, you know, just kind of sluggish, then it's probably not the best diet for you, even if it's supposed to be healthy. Um, but some of that does come with the whole insulin balancing thing. So once your insulin gets more... Um, balance, then, then that should probably go away. But, um, yeah, so there's tons of great naturopathic treatments for PCOS. Um, I'll just kind of run off. I'll go through a few different studies that I've come across. I'm a big fan of um, actually using studies um, with our, our treatments. So first off, nettles root. Nettles is a great herb. You can use the nettles leaf. You can use the nettles seed, nettles root. But in, in this particular case, nettles root is used um, to increase that uh, 
the marker that I told earlier, the sex hormone binding globulin. That's the little taxi cab that, that hooks hooks up the, the testosterone and clears it out of the body. So nettle's root, uh, in the study, it looked at 300 milligrams twice a day of nettle's root. You do that in a, a capsule that's been shown to help clear testosterone, excess testosterone. Um, also green tea extract. You can do a lot of, just drinking green tea on a regular basis I think is fabulous, especially if you're not sensitive to caffeine. I don't find that it's usually an issue for most patients. But drinking green tea um, can decrease testosterone, and then also it, it does increase your um, metabolism, so it, it helps you to burn fat. So the study looked at um, 270 milligrams of um, ECGC, which is a component of green tea, and that was daily for three months, um, helped with uh, increasing the sex hormone binding globulin. Uh, also, salt palmetto, a lot of people know that is a, an herb good for men's health, but for PCOS, it's helpful to inhibit an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. And this is an enzyme that, that converts testosterone to DHT. DHT is a very potent form of testosterone. It's actually 10 times more potent than testosterone. So um, you want to prevent that conversion from happening. And women who have you know, the hair loss on the head, the hair growth on the face, on the nipples, on the stomach. I mean, they usually have higher um, levels of DHT. So you want to prevent that from converting. So salt palmetto is found to be effective for that, and that was um, 200 milligrams twice per day. And then um, anything that is going to increase insulin sensitivity and lower the surges of insulin are a good idea to do. So... My favorite one um, to add in for PCOS patients is called D-Cairo inositol. So it's D-Cairo, like a chiropractor, C-H-I-R-O, dash inositol. It's I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. And hopefully you guys can hear me with the phone. I know it gets kind of muffled sometimes. But um, there is a study that looked at D-Cairo inositol, and they found that um, just 1,200 milligrams once per day for six to eight weeks uh, significantly increased insulin sensitivity. And um, unfortunately, it's actually a pretty expensive uh, supplement, but of course, as women that are trying to get pregnant, they're desperate and they'll do anything. So they'll probably pay for it. Um, probably cheaper another, than a fertility treatment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Much cheaper than fertility treatment. So I think it's worth it. <laughs> um, and then D-tinitol is another option that's um, a, kind of a sort of related, maybe like a cousin of the D-chironositol, and that's, that's 600 milligrams twice per day, and that was shown um, after three months to increase insulin sensitivity. Um, I was told anecdotally from a, a doctor that using two to three grams a day of just straight-up inositol works great. I haven't used it yet with patients, but that's worth a try. And, of course, any of you guys listening, I'm not a fan of just, you know, doing self-treatment for this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I know a lot of my audience is... Um, medical students and other doctors, so I'm just sharing some of the things that I do with patients, but um, I do recommend anybody listening, you do get evaluated by a doctor. This isn't to diagnose or treat or replace your doctor's um, advice, but just want to put that disclaimer. Um, also, this was a really cool study. So this is a study that looked at maitake, which is a mushroom, and the study showed that um, they were comparing maitake and um, I think it was Clomid, which is a fertility drug. Let me look it up here. I have it in my notes. Um, so it was after three, okay, so it was 80 patients that received maitake extract or Clomid for 12 weeks, and this was to induce ovulation. And after three menstrual cycles, the group taking the maitake um, extract had an ovulation, and these are PCOS patients, by the way, these are all women who have PCOS. After three menstrual cycles, the maitake group had an ovulation rate of 76.9% which is really significant, and the Clomid group had an ovulation rate of 93%. So, of course, it was, it was a higher rate with the Clomid group, but it just goes to show that, you know, using a natural substance can be very effective for inducing ovulation. And the, um, the supplement that they used with that was called um, Maitake SX Fraction. If you can Google that, they did three tablets three times a day for three months, and that was what they used. So, pretty cool. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, Geneva Silvestre, Geneva Silvestre, that's an herb that can help with blood sugar balancing. Um, I don't use it a whole lot. I haven't found it to be super effective, but it's worth a try. Licorice root can help to reduce testosterone. Spearmint, 
um, drinking spearmint tea a couple of cups per day for a month was shown to lower testosterone. And also um, the women said that it decreased their um, growth of hair on the face. And let's see here. Chromium is helpful to help you know help balance blood sugar, so 200 to 1,000 micrograms a day. Also, vitamin D. Uh, there was a study that looked at women with PCOS, and it showed that um, they were it was like 75% of them were deficient in vitamin D compared to I don't remember what the percentage was in the the rest of the population, but it, it was significantly increased to be deficient in vitamin D. So. I don't know what the mechanism of that is. I'm not exactly sure, but for sure you want to up your vitamin D and make sure you have a good amount of that. Um, there's so many. I love natural medicine because there's so many options. Oh, flax seeds. I love, 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 love flax seeds. So two to four tablespoons a day. Um, I am a fan of, of putting it in a coffee grinder. Just get a cheapy coffee grinder from, you know, wherever grocery store or Target and just, Designate that your flaxseed coffee grinder. You don't your you, flaxseed seed grinder. You don't use it for coffee because it, it makes your seeds taste like coffee. So just put in a couple <laughs> tablespoons of whole flax seeds. Um, I like to keep them in the fridge or the freezer because they can oxidize. And then you just grind it up and put that in a smoothie, or you can just put it in a little bit of water and chug it down. Do that every day, and that can help with uh, the sex hormone binding globulin that helps to excrete the um, excess estrogen because a lot of these women have too much estrogen as well. Um, so love the flax seeds and let me see if there's anything else that I feel like I have to make sure I mention. Oh, I love intermittent fasting. I absolutely love it. It is great for improving insulin sensitivity. So after doing the detox, I, you know, recommend some patients like fast one day out of the week or do, a, you know, a fast for a weekend, maybe one weekend every month, just just water fast. Just drink water and just chill and rest because that can help to increase your, your um, tissue sensitivity to insulin too. And um, I think that's kind of a nice rundown. I'm sure people have uh, written all kinds of stuff, but, um, you know, the, the, big, the biggest issue is insulin, the bouncing blood sugar, and then giving some adrenal support. So maybe some adaptogen herbs, maybe some ashwagandha, um, some sarsaparilla or... Um, you know, Eleutherococcus can be really good, which is Siberian ginseng. <sighs> There's so many options, Evelyn. That's why I love it. That's, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's a lot, but, you know, if people are writing notes, so I figure they can take some stuff out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's sort of my philosophy with it. And then we'll we'll do that for maybe, you know, um, a couple of months and then reevaluate test our hormones, see how things have changed, and then just adjust as necessary. That's my approach. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, we'll probably be wrapping it up here pretty soon, but um, I know you're very interested in environmental medicine, and you touched on this a little bit about the toxicity, but can you talk a little more about the connection between environmental toxins and PCOS? Sure. Yeah, so PCOS patients um, have higher levels of all kinds of stuff. Um, BPA, that is a, it's a toxin that's found like in receipts. Um, BPA is in some plastics. Those in the research, it does show that women with PCOS have higher levels of BPA in their blood. Um, also, things like um, phthalates. Phthalates are these alter hormones. They can make a woman not ovulate. They can increase insulin problems. So this is like compounds that are found in cosmetics, and um, hairsprays have them, and paints have them. So they're kind of all over the place. It's whenever like the detox that we're going to do with patients, I walk them through just clearing out all of these things in their um, medicine cabinet and their, um, you know, in their bathrooms and getting the shower filters and just detoxing their whole environment because you have to kind of do like a clean sweep of all of it because you're exposed from so many different things, whether it's, you know, cleaning supplies or your lotions or your makeup or whatever. So you have to mm -hmm. do like a detox not only of your food and your body but um, reducing the, the overall burden of what you're exposed to on a regular basis. Um, also, really interesting, there was a study that looked at heavy metals and, um, let's see here, cadmium and mercury. So mercury and cadmium were both found to be higher in patients with PCOS. It was a study of 500 women, 165 of them had PCOS, and um, they all had higher levels of these two metals. So I don't know what, you know, what's 
going on with that. I don't know if maybe mm-hmm. their livers are overburdened and maybe that can add to the hormonal disruption or um, I'm not exactly sure, you know, why that is the case, but they're, yeah, so increased, uh, you know, toxin overload in these, in these ladies. Really interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Another reason to, to do the detox, really, really important. Yeah. Um, Lauren, what was that website? I can't think of it right now, but where you can find, is it like a cosmetics database or something where you can see how toxic um, cosmetics are? Do you know what it is? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's called Skin Deep, right? Isn't it Skin Deep? I, I don't remember. But um, yeah, I know so you can go to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cosmeticsdatabase.com, cosmeticsdatabase.com, oh, okay. or you can go to ewg.org, which is Environmental Working Group, ewg.org slash Skin Deep. And, um, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because any, any product that you use, you can just type it in there and it will give you a, a score. I think it's like 0 to 10. I think it's 0 to 10. Mm-hmm. Or maybe 0 to 100. But it, it rates it of how toxic your um, cosmetics are. And it's pretty scary sometimes because these things, you know, mm-hmm. the MAC makeup and the Lancome and the, I mean, they're just full of this stuff. So I know we want to look pretty, but do you want to look pretty and not have a baby? <laughs> Not to mention that some of those actually contain hormones. I don't think I knew this till recently, but yeah. um, they're not required to list hormones on them if it's below a certain amount. And apparently, yep. they're very common in like very common brands, you know, like Estee Lauder and Clinique and all that stuff. So I was really shocked by that. Yeah, it's true. There's a um a particular company that sells lotions. It's a network marketing company. I don't want to poo-poo it because I don't know if maybe their other products are good. But um, I had a friend, a doctor friend, who they actually send it, sent in um, a sample of the lotion to a lab and had it evaluated. Mm-hmm. And, in, in fact, the, the company or the, the lotion was just full of estrogen. And this is a really commonly used lotion. So, I mean, you have to make sure you know where you're getting stuff. And, yeah, definitely check it out on that website for sure. And um, I just want any ladies listening, by the way, that um, if you have PCOS, I, I don't want to make this seem like this is just the end of the world because this is so, so doable with natural medicine. I don't want to say that it's curable or you can reverse it because I don't want to like get into legal issues with that, but it's so doable. And um, I would say naturopathic medicine really shines in this area. And I mean, I'm biased. I think it shines in a lot of areas, but especially with PCOS, I think it's really, really good. So... If you're listening, don't get overwhelmed. Just know that there's a lot of great options and just, um, you know, you can give me a call. I do free consultations. So if you're local in San Diego or if you are um, out of state or even out of the country, we can still talk over the phone or over Skype and we can chat. And if I feel like I can help you, I'll do my very best to help you. And if I can't, I will find someone who can help you out. So definitely take me up on the offer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that because it does sound kind of overwhelming. So. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Um, that was a really good show, Lauren. Great. Good job. <laughs> so um, I just want to, before we hang up, um, I mean, we already explained the detox and how it works, but uh, do you want to just share a little bit about the logistics, like when and what, all that stuff? Sure. Well, I know that we're still working out some of the details with dates, but Evelyn and I are going to put together um, our detox program that's going to be both um, for distant patients. So if you're out of state or out of the country, no problem. We're going to do it um, as a either we're going to either do a te- teleconference or do a webinar. We haven't figured out the logistics of that yet, but it's going to be um, really clear. It'll it's all inclusive with all the products, with the calls, and it's keeping you on track for the four weeks. Um, you'll get a binder that includes what diet to do, and uh, the supplements include a, a really great protein powder. It's my favorite powder. I use it myself. I drink this stuff like almost every day. Um, it's got a liver support, some fish oil, a greens drink, as well as homeopathic remedies. And we do a pre and post detox questionnaire. So you can really mar- you can really uh, monitor your progress. You see, okay, I feel really toxic in the beginning. You compare it at the end and you're, you'll be amazed at the difference that you feel. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be for, for distant patients. And then we are going to also host um, a, a local event here in San Diego Probably the second week of January, we're still working out some of the dates, but it's going to be at Fitzy Foods, um, which is in Point Loma in San Diego. We'll be meeting um, in the beginning of the detox, halfway through, and at the end. So really guiding you guys through it. And there will be unlimited email support. So if anything comes yeah. up, we're totally at your beck and call. So. 
And the nice thing about that binder is that literally everything is completely laid out, like when to take the supplements, what to eat when, everything is just right there. So it's a very educational experience, but it's also very doable. And we'll be doing it with you guys. So. Oh, yep, which I need it. <laughs> yes. All righty. Well, thank you, Lauren, so much for being on your own show. <laughs> Thanks for hosting my show. Um, and stay tuned or, uh, you know, check into uh, the Dr. Lowe Facebook page to get updates on future shows. Check out our websites for information on the detox. Uh, we'll be taking sign-ups actually starting at the end of this week, and we'll let you guys know. Well, I can tell you the website right now. Um, it's called freshdetox.com. So if you want to read about it a little bit, it's not quite all set up yet, but you could read about it there if you want to right now. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy. Today only, all hats, gloves, and scarves are 50% off. Plus, get 40% off your entire purchase today at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Hats, gloves, and scarves valid 1120. 40% valid 1115 to 1120. Exclusions apply. See store for details.